Hello, NCEA podcast listeners. During the month of August, we will be replaying some of our most popular podcasts from the year. This podcast originally dropped in August of 2021 with guest sister Mary Patricia Earle. In this podcast, we explore her book, Building the Builders, which not only provides insight on the spiritual care of students, but also focuses on the faith formation and prayer life of school leaders. If you would like to purchase a copy of this book, it is available online at nca.org backslash store. Today's guest is Sister Patricia Earle, and I'm going to let her tell you more about herself, but she is um, a sister who has worked in Catholic education for many years and has recently written a book for NCA called Building the Builders, Faith Formation and Prayer. And I find it to be a very personal book from her. It's about um, journeying, walking with Jesus through Mary, and um, I just found it to be a, a great book. So, Sister, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey in Catholic education? Yes, Kathy, thank you so much. Uh, Actually, I am a product of Catholic education up through my master's degree and my faith formation as a Sister of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Uh, In addition to that, I've taught Catholic elementary school, probably almost every level, either in the school or in religious education. I've been a Catholic school principal, a director of religious education. I was assistant superintendent of schools for the Arlington Diocese for 13 years, and I've been at Marymount University for 19 years, where I direct our master's degree in Catholic school leadership. So my whole life in my own formation and in my service out to others has been really totally uh, committed to Catholic education. And, and I, just so you know, my grandson had his first day in first grade yesterday at Immaculate Heart of Mary School. So there's a connection. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's fantastic. That's yeah. always nice to hear those stories. It, it is. And um he told me it was fine. So, and I think when you're six and you're a little boy and you say it's fine, it was probably very good. <laughs> That's pretty good. May he still say that when he's 18? <laughs> exactly. exactly. You, that's a prayer for you and me. So your you title is, is Building the Builders, um, a Faith Formation in Prayer, Journeying with Jesus Through Mary. And um, I was thinking about the title just because I don't know that our school leaders necessarily think of themselves as builders and builders of the kingdom. And so I found the title to be very, very interesting. Why did you decide to title your book, Building the Builders? Because again, it's not a phrase we hear very frequently, but I like it. Well, thank you. And I think NCEA has liked it because this is the third book in a series titled Building the Builders. The first was on virtue, the second on spirituality, and this one on prayer. I came up with that idea uh, many years ago with the first book because we all know that parents are the primary educators of their children. But when we look at the mission and purpose of a Catholic school, which is to provide and add to the faith formation of our children, we depend on our teachers and our administrators to provide that additional formation. They are building the kingdom by their instruction of their students and principals and faculty together. And so the book is intended to look at the teacher and principal as the builder 
of faith formation in our schools for our students. And the book then, Building the Builders, is meant to say that this is a book could be read by anybody, but does have a primary focus of trying to assist teachers and administrators in the faith formation of their children by first of all, helping them to continue to develop their own faith formation, their own relationship with Christ. And so by building them, they are then better enabled to assist our children in coming to love Jesus, coming to know about our faith and building the kingdom. So that idea of building the builders really does refer to, yes, building the kingdom, but building or providing resources, namely my book, for those who are building others in that faith formation. And, and I really do like the phrase a lot. Um, I also think that I think about, so teachers are building themselves and children. Yes. And principals are building themselves and children and teachers and, and so on. And so everybody has a responsibility, not only to themselves, but each other. And that's I think correct. building the builders kind of captures that for me. And that's exactly what I've wanted it to be. So that it's not just uh, a book to be used to teach the children, though ultimately it leads to that, but it's an opportunity to provide something for those who are ministering to our young people, where yes, we first need to build ourselves, we need to keep developing our own uh, relationship with Christ so that we can continue then to give that to our children. And I often use the title or the phrase, you cannot give what you do not have. And so the book is an attempt to assist those particularly involved in Catholic education with deepening their own spirituality, their own prayer relationship with Christ, so that in doing that, they are enabled and more enthused to want to help our children to develop that prayer, that relationship with Jesus that comes from that talking and listening time together. So I think we're on the same page with that. So that is the reason I came up with that title. And then I've branched it off into certain aspects of how we build the builders and how we engage in that faith formation. I find your book, Sister, to be very personal too. I think it, it's about you. I think you're, exp you're exposing your own thoughts and, and um, hopes in this book. And, and I find that throughout the book. In one place, you say that the book is the fruit of your prayer. And again, you use phrases I have not really considered. And I wondered to myself, what is the fruit of my prayer? So where did you come up with the fruit of your prayer? And um, what do you hope for Catholic educators? What do you, how do you want us to discover what the fruit of our prayer is? Because I think it's a powerful phrase. Well, thank you. Uh, first of all, I think the phrase has its origin in scripture. By your fruit, you will know them. A good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree doesn't. So that's the scriptural background for it. Uh, in the particular case, referring to this book as the fruit of my prayer. Yes, it is very personal. And uh, the idea came to me, first of all, through my own spiritual director, who in our sessions of meeting together and sharing together uh, encouraged me to share some of these reflections with 
other people, particularly in education. And we spoke about this book being the fruit of my prayer. So in one sense, it's the fruit of my prayer in that it basically captures uh, how I have prayed with scripture in these particular passages in the gospels related to Mary. It talks about how I've used that Ignatian model of entering into the scene, but then what are the particular um, fruits or what are the what are the ideas that have come to me as I have prayed with these various scripture passages. And so just as a tree bears fruit for myself with this book, I think the idea that the book represents a collection of my own responses to my own reflection meditation on the gospel passages that are here. And so it's that outgrowth of in my coming and spending time with scripture and reading it and reflecting on it, my words, my meditation, the ideas that I've shared are that outgrowth of that time spent in prayer, which obviously comes through the grace of the Holy Spirit. I think in a broader sense, in terms of, you know, what is the fruit of our prayer? There's another aspect of that. Uh, I think it's St. Francis of Assisi who talks something to the effect of um, preach and if necessary, use words. And so the idea that we teach by our example. And so to the degree that I make the effort, none of us is perfect, but we know the Holy Spirit prays through us. And so to the degree that I make the effort in good days and bad uh, to spend time with the Lord in prayer, then hopefully not only does that reflect itself in a book that I can write, but it should reflect itself then in how I interact with other people. And so for those who are teachers in spending time with the Lord each day in prayer, personally, not just with our children in school, but making a little bit of time each day for ourselves to grow in that relationship. In doing that, as we come to know Jesus more personally, more intimately, then that should guide our way of living, our response to gospel values, and it should evidence itself then in the way I treat other people with respect and reverence and compassion and care. And so I think very often the fruit of our prayer, yes, is first of all, what are the ideas that come to me as I'm praying the scripture? But then what do I do with those ideas? And over time, those ideas build within my heart and soul. And they are the things that give me the inspiration then to say the word of compassion rather than the word of reproof, to say or offer a gesture of caring rather than ignoring someone and closing a blind eye. So I think the fruit of prayer is really the way we try to live our lives in reaching out not only to love God, but that other piece to love our neighbor. And that's the ultimate fruit of prayer. And I think that's how we, I don't think we judge it, we leave it to the Lord to uh, see that our efforts are there and to help us then to put the time spent with him into real life practice. So for me, that would be the fruit of my prayer.
though specifically this book is the fruit of my prayer in that I wanted to share some of these ideas uh, that have come to me in my prayer on these various passages. Sister, I love your definition and what it means to you for the fruit of their prayer. And I, I think that that is something that's going to change my prayer life and how I look at it because I think, and I don't think I'm alone, but I think sometimes I offer prayers and, and that's the end of it. And I don't complete the circle. And I think this, mm. this the way you phrase this that will help me to complete this, the um, circle. So, so thank you for that. Um, the book covers all of the important events of Mary's life as we know through scripture. It, it's, it's, it, it's a love story to Mary in a very real way. And I think I'm going to focus on the assumption since we just had the assumption this week. So it seemed like that because I didn't know which one to pick. So I picked the assumption for that reason. Um, and with the story of the assumption and really with all of them, you, you give background information on the, on the event in Mary's life, in this case, the assumption. And then it's like you talk directly to Mary. It's like your conversation, what you want to tell Mary. And then you kind of go back to a narrative approach. But that conversation that I feel like comes from your heart, mm -hmm. was that difficult for you? Because I feel in a way you're being very vulnerable to share those feelings. Does that come naturally to you? Did you have a reason to do that? Because to me, that made the book very personal, personal and very, and I don't know, it, it, um, it spoke to me because I felt like I was walking with you. Oh, that's a lovely compliment. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, you know, first of all, the book goes back and forth between some background information and then my own personal thinking. And the reason I do that is as I move through a different phrase or a different part of uh, the particular passage, in this case, the assumption, I want to, first of all, I think it's the teacher in me, I want to add the credibility of well, why am I talking about this? Why am I discussing this? And what right do I have? Where am I getting these ideas initially? And so, um, you know, in looking at what I did choose to write about in the assumption, I've referred to the book of Revelation, I've referred to some teachings of the church on the assumption of Mary uh, in the catechism of the Catholic Church, so that there is a background and a credibility. I also used um, Redemptoris Mater as another resource. I tend to do that so that it's not just, you know, my pie in the sky ideas, but they're rooted, first of all, in Catholic teaching. Then from that, what I've really tried to do in this book is to allow it, if the first part of the book is a preface that explains very broadly how a way of praying with scripture. And so putting that way of scripture, which we call an Ignatian model, because you enter into the scene, you try to picture it. So I've tried to give the background and then enter into that scene and picture what I see going on. Not necessarily, it's not the church teaching, it's how do I picture that scene? But then that personal conversation is something that, I do when I pray. And I don't know that I necessarily have this type of a conversation with too many other people. 
because it is very personal. But I was encouraged to share those thoughts with others. And I thought, well, you know, if, if I've been gifted with the opportunity to, as you say, I've had conversation, you know, Mary, I'm looking at a paragraph in front of me, you know, you did not have to understand, but simply said yes to the father. So it's a conversation back and forth. And first of all, we teach our children in first and second grade, you know, what is prayer? Prayer is talking and listening to God. And so in its simplest form, it's a conversation. And so in our meditation, when we try to learn how to pray with scripture, we want to read it. We want to focus on a phrase or a section that stands out. We want to enter into that scene. And then you rest quietly with the Lord, or in this case with Mary as well. And, and you're still and you're quiet. And then... It's as though, not that you get a message, but an idea comes into your head. And it's almost as though it's a conversation, but not out loud in words. And I tend, when I do pray, to write a lot of this in my own journaling. And so to go back and write this book, I didn't just sit and meditate on these day by day and crank them out, so to speak. But I really went back into my own journals and captured parts of my prayer that were personal and yet not so personal that they're invasive. Um, they, they are the personal things of interacting with Mary, having a conversation, maybe leaving out the most personal or the specifics of my own life because that's more for, for me, not for the public. But it was easy enough to kind of eliminate some of the uh, details of day-to-day -day living and but still be able to capture the conversation so I don't necessarily talk like that I don't share with too many people on this particular level but having been encouraged to share my thoughts and to share some of the things that I that I have experienced in prayer um, that is what I've tried to do in this in this whole book um, the idea is that not only thinking about the passage and entering into it, but trying to figure out, you know, what is, what is the Lord saying to me in this passage? Or what, what is Mary's message to me in this passage? So often it comes through more by way of my talking to Jesus or talking to Mary. And through that uh, style of writing, capturing the ideas that the reflections that have come to me so that by basing it first of all on church doctrine or church writings so that we know that there's credibility why spend time with this passage and a little bit of how it came to be but then taking it beyond what would be the bible study and making it personal because i think this doesn't happen over time you know i've, I've been doing this a while now and uh, I think but when we make that time and spend that time with the Lord and we do enter into the scene uh, that conversation does happen within our hearts but a lot of times we don't 
we just kind of, oh yeah, that was nice and we move on. Um, I've been fortunate that I've kept a little record of those things, not because I was writing a book, just because that was my way of being able to go back, for example, on retreat and look back at some of the ideas that had come to me in my own prayer. And where does the Lord wanna take me next in my own prayer? And so I think that the idea of uh, when we pray the scripture, we need to think about the scene and we need to think about what is the message. But I think if we spend a little more time over time, it doesn't happen overnight, then we're able to enter into more of that conversation. Another thing I think, you know, important to know about the reflections that I have here, the reflections just in the chapter on the assumption did not come from one morning of prayer. That was probably several months and going back to that passage multiple times in the past couple of years. So I was able then to put those things together and it looks like it's a very complete whole. Uh, over time, I guess it is, but the reality is it is something that it, it builds over time. So you get a thought today and you get a thought tomorrow and you get a thought the next day and suddenly you realize that you've been having a conversation with the Lord. And, you know, it's, it's basically, it is speaking from my heart. Um, and so sometimes I also think it's easier to write something like this, knowing that other people will read it, hoping that it will encourage other people to spend time in praying with scripture. And at the same time, recognizing that, you know, uh, I probably can write more than I would say to someone personally. Uh, I enjoy writing. And so it's a very easy thing for me to capture those ideas on paper, but not to the extent that they came into the book. The, the ideas are there. And then, you know, I had to go back and, and uh, write that. But that's why we go back and forth between something that is uh, established in our faith or that's been written about our faith with good authority, and then my own reflection. We go back and forth. And I didn't just do the whole background piece and then the whole reflection because it's as I've gone through the passage, you know, it's a little bit of background, a little bit of entering into the scene, and then a little bit of talking and listening to Mary or our Lord, which is what you try to do in a meditative type of prayer. There are so many ways of praying and they all ultimately lead us to the Lord. Uh, and at different times in our lives, I think we feel called to whether it's the rosary, whether it's meditation, whether it's of course the divine office and of course the mass being the most perfect of all prayers. Um, it's not a right or a wrong. It's just the Lord draws you at different times to come to know him in different ways. I, I think that's um, beautiful, <laughs> and I'm glad that your spiritual advisor asked you to write this down, um, but I, I also think that it, it's really important that um, if, if you read this book, that you take time with it. I didn't feel like I had enough time with it because of time constraints to get this recorded, but um, it, it is definitely a book that does draw you in and does provide you an opportunity to you have, for you to have your own conversation. And I think that's one of the reasons I liked it. Um, the other thing I would say is that when I was um, reading it, 
you know, and you said, put yourself in the scene, which I, I've done that before too. But I think that, you know, I probably should have done that more when I was teaching children. I don't think I did that enough then. So I invite teachers who are, who are looking for ways to, um, to provide new opportunities for students in prayer um, to invite them to do that because I think that students do that easily, especially younger students. They're used to reading and thinking about the setting and and that we teach Absolutely. them that. Well, putting yourself in there, I think that makes a lot of sense. But I taught first grade for seven years and I did indeed tell them that prayer starts with just talking to God and then mm -hmm. listening for him to answer. So you're definitely right about that. That's the way- and Kathy one thing that you mentioned, and I, I just want to build back on that a little bit. Um, this is not a book that you can really sit down and read. It's not that long, but it's not a book that you can sit down and read in a couple hours and say, okay, that's done. It's really a book that what I've tried to do is give a sample of, well, it's several meditations in a chapter, but a sample of how I have prayed with that chapter. And one of the reasons I put the gospel passage at the beginning is so that after people have read that chapter, maybe they will go back and use it for their own prayer. And then at another time, pick up the next chapter and move on. And so it is meant to be read slowly and reflectively. And the idea of this is what I've done. Now you try it and let's see what the Lord shares with you because we're all open to the Lord if we make an effort to do that. Right, so if I'm a principal, this could be a book that we could use all year with a, a faculty or staff. If Absolutely. I'm a teacher, I can use parts of it with no matter what age, you mm -hmm. can use it with your students. So I, I throw that out there because I think teachers are looking for ways to, to make prayer more meaningful to their students. And I think mm -hmm. this is one way that they might want to consider. And it's it's, very much laid out there for them how to do it. It's laid out, and you mentioned the two groups that are so important in this. A principal could use this, let's say at a monthly faculty meeting, just one chapter at a time, uh, having maybe sent out that passage and, and said, you know, we're going to look at this. And then first of all, giving people time to pray with it, and then maybe to share back about it in the grade school and in the high school, the high schools could use this text as it is because the children or students are older. But with the little ones, if a teacher would read this and pray with it, but then take the child's version of the story and having experienced that prayer herself or himself, then go ahead and encourage children to enter in on their age level. And a lot of times we do that by not just letting them flounder, but as you know, teaching first grade, um, raising a question and saying, now talk to Jesus about that. You know, what do you think Mary looked like when the angel Gabriel came to see her? How do you think she felt? How do you think she was excited? And so just stimulating those questions. And then as you go up the grades, making those questions a little more, um, sophisticated according to the grade level. But by throwing those questions in there, it's kind of like guided reading. You're giving the children an opportunity to just take a small section and, and read with it and pray with it. And, you know, we can teach even kindergartners 
quote unquote, to meditate. Now you don't have them sit for a half an hour or they'll be crawling all over the place. But, you know, try 30 seconds to a minute and then cut it before they get squirmy so that they, oh, do we have to stop? And even with eighth graders, if you haven't done this, don't expect them to sit for 10 minutes. They don't know how to do that. But again, doing it slowly and building it up a little bit several times a week in a religion class, taking that same passage, let's go back and look at another part of it and putting another question out. Maybe because adolescents don't want to share, having them write their thoughts in a journal that is just between them and the Lord. Or having them, if you have a group that's really conversant, letting them talk about it and share what they're thinking. There are so many ways that we can open scripture to our young people. But I think, and this part of this goes back to my own doctoral study, we need to uh, provide some of those tools for our teachers, for our administrators to feel comfortable in sharing this and teaching it and not just being out at sea hoping I'm doing the right thing. And so hopefully a book such as this, it is personal. It's, it's an inner look at my own, I guess, faith dimension, if you will, but that's not its purpose. Its purpose is to show people how they can pray with scripture. And if you know how to do something, you can teach it to your students. If you're an administrator, you can teach it to your faculty so they can teach it to their students. And you may have some teachers on faculty who pray with this and could write six more books for me. Uh, and you have others who, oh yeah, we did that when I was in high school, but they haven't had a chance, you know, life has gone on and they, they read the gospel at mass, but taking that time to actually pray with it Oftentimes, you know, we say, well, there's just not enough time in the day. And yet our relationship with Christ is at the heart of who we are. And it should be at the heart of, of what we want to do with our young people. Definitely. I definitely think that's correct. So sister, I ask everybody who's on our podcast, what's the best lesson you've ever learned? I think for me, it comes down to a very simple phrase listen to people, listen to others. And I think if we can listen to our children, we can listen to our parents, particularly if there's a concern and give them an opportunity to be heard. And then, then we get our chance to express what we need to. Uh, taking time to listen and respect other people, I think is one of the greatest lessons that I've learned. And if we do that, we also then know that it involves taking time to listen to the Lord. But when we listen, we show that respect for the other person, be it a person or be it Jesus himself. And it allows us then to, first of all, be open to other people's ideas and not just focus in on me, myself, and I. But it also allows us then to, having listened, taken in what another person has said, you know, collaboration, consensus building, all of those pieces that go into so much of the development of our schools even, it comes from listening and then pondering and then putting into practice. So I think to listen to others with that reverence and respect 
and then go on to express whatever we need to do. But we don't have to jump right in there with, with the answer right away. I think uh, listening allows us to broaden our horizons and to let people know that we value them and what they have to say as well. I, I think that's a good lesson to have learned. What's the best lesson you ever taught? That I think is a hard one because I'm not sure I've ever gone back to think about what is the best lesson. Uh, but I was thinking about this idea that I'm not certain that I can tell you what is the best lesson I've taught, but going back to what I mentioned about St. Francis of Assisi with preach and if necessary use words, I think that each day becomes an opportunity with God's grace to teach whatever the lesson of the day is by trying to put into practice my faith, my virtue, uh, what I believe is good and true. And to know that truth is at the heart of, of who we are as Catholics, God's truth. And I think to be able then to try and just make my effort each day to give the best example or witness that I can to others of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a Catholic, what it means to be a religious sister, and the list can go on. So I think maybe it's not so much what's the one lesson, but I think it's looking at every day as an opportunity, once again, to teach whatever lesson it is that the Lord wants me to teach. And with that, we will close. That's a good way to close. Whatever the Lord wants us to teach. I think that's good advice for all of us. So um, sister's book is Building the Builders, Faith Formation and Prayer. And thank you, sister, for being with us. Um, I know this is one of a series of books. There's two already written, but I am deeply grateful for you and for sharing of yourself in this book. And because I really think it's something that a, a principal teacher can pick up and it can be, it, it will change them and in a very positive way. And um, anytime we can be and have books that inspire us to be better, I think our, our schools will be better. So thank you for, for writing it and sharing of yourself in it. I really appreciate it. And thank you for inviting me to talk about it today, Kathy, because that is the reason it was written, so that principals and teachers can use it for their own growth and for that of their children and their students at whatever age level. So it's a great opportunity, and I'm very grateful to NCEA for publishing it so that uh, it can be a tool that others can hopefully use. And I think that they will. So I don't think you have to worry about that. So thank you for joining our NCA podcast. I hope you've enjoyed Sister Patricia Earl and learning about her book, Building the Builders, Faith Formation and Prayer. Join NCEA on a virtual tour across the country in a new podcast series for teachers. Each week, we will journey to a new school to have conversations with Catholic school educators from early childhood, elementary, or secondary education. Gain inspiration as you spread your wings and learn about successful strategies, practices, and programs outside your school home. Get on board to celebrate the excellent work of teachers in Catholic education and subscribe to NCEA podcasts today. After all, the most valuable resource we have is each other. 
Do you or someone you know have something worth sharing? Let us know. We could be visiting your diocese and introducing you as our next podcast guest. Thank you.